This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the county result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So... The only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Scarf Begar War. Proudly sponsored by the Players' Entrance, at Covent Garden Cafe and the Royal Oak Edgerly. Great flick up by Alan Armstrong. Welcome everybody to uh, Dark Days Part 4B or Part 5 as, as I'm going to call it. Um, real apologies that it's been five months um, bef- since our last one and a lot's happened since then at County that are, are putting these Dark Days into into bright sunny days but we'll stick with the Dark Days theme. Um, we've got our usual guests or well, they're not even guests anymore, they're like, like the part of the furniture. Uh, we've got Dave with us, Dave Espley. You alright Dave? Hi Russ, yeah, you alright lads? We've got Phil Brennan. Right, Phil? Good evening. Good evening. And we've got um, podcast aficionado himself. Or is it a, is it a vlogcast? I don't even... I don't, what, what is it you do now, Dave Schofield? What, what is it? Oh, it's, I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like a multi-instrumentalist, uh, musician, poet, actor, director, you name it. And I just put, I just put everything out there. I mean... Renaissance I'm, man. Collector of famous followers. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've got, I've got some very famous followers. Yeah, I mentioned right at the start of these dark days. You know, it, I'm a bit fuzzy on some on some names and what have you because um, I was kind of high on drugs at the time for class A drugs. Uh, but Greg, Greg Hall, who I have mentioned in, uh, a couple of times and uh, in glowing terms, is a great guy. Uh, he's from Sandbach. He, it was him who came with me to the to the renegotiation. You know, with the um, Administrators, um, so so Rob Reckless definitely came in the first time, and Greg Hall came the second. Greg was a top, 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 top guy. His brother as well, really nice both. So, just going back to the dark days, then we finished the last episode at the end of the season where we got relegated into the National League North. Uh, Darie Kalasic had just left the club. We play Kidderminster. Um, we didn't talk about some of the antics that went on in at the Kidderminster match. 
uh, there, there was something something that really gets on my nerves about um, you. Occasionally, football fans are the sort of high spirits turn into nobodyness, right? And it's just it's a very very emotional game, isn't it? And and I can't stand it when people say these so called fans. You know, you've got people who follow County all over the country, home and away, and. All right, let themselves down for twenty minutes or something because they've, because they've just got themselves too emotional. But to sort of to in any way cast aspersions on the fact of whether they're real fans or not, it's just like I don't want to hear that. That that phrase, so called, is is like the go to phrase for people who want to clutch the handbags and clutch the pearls yeah. and and condemn other people in their in their peer group for not behaving as they behave. That's and it's true. used in, in more context than football, but you're dead right. So-called fans, costly fans, bugger off. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, just going back to that, I mean, we, we've got, going back the season before, on when there was the pitch invasion and I was doing a co-com and there was lads on that pitch, some of them that I introduced to County when they were like 14, 15, and you can't tell me that after 30 years of following the club, then they're so-called fans. Right. And you're right, Dave, the same thing happened at Kidderminster. And again, there was a lot of people on that pitch that I knew. I'm not saying they were right, I'm not saying they were wrong, but they were certainly fans of us, still are certainly fans of Scottsport County. Um, if you remember, our board members were banned from going to the game at Kidderminster. Yeah, um, were they, though? They were, yeah. yeah. And the whole thing, the whole, the whole bad taste about the day started the week before because... Kidderminster's chairman made it public knowledge that he had told our board members to stay away because he thought that them being at the game was going to instigate trouble from our fans should Kidderminster go ahead and win the game. And it it was a nonsense. It just was a nonsense. I mean, I I remember making notes about it all at the time and I've sort of gone through them all. And there was, you know, it's it's very easy to blame a club with a big fan base that that have had some problems going to a game where their existence was on the line because, you know, we didn't know. Nobody knew how things were going to go if we'd have got relegated that day. Nobody knew for sure that Stockport County would exist the following season. And the fact that, if you remember on the day, I'm I'm sure you were there, they actually opened only half of the away section. That's right. And they tried to cram in everybody into some seats and half of an, an open end, and the other half mm. of the open end had about 12 Kidderminster fans in it, and more and more county fans were getting squashed into that section. And I remember saying I remember to JK on the, on the COCOM, this is just a recipe for disaster. Somebody's going to get really badly hurt, or county fans are just going to spill into that end whether they want them to or not, because the, the, you know there will be people in there fearing for the safety. Yeah. And then... I think they probably got to about 30 Kidderminster in that open end. And then they stupidly started antagonising, you know, the 3,000 or so county fans who were squashed into a space for 800 or whatever it was. And it, it, it just escalated from there. And this was long, long before kickoff. So there was a lot of things that led up to that. You know, that actual, you know, not, not just getting beat and, and well beaten as well. I mean, they were a much better side than us. We knew that. Um and we'd lost it by drawing at Gateshead, hadn't we? Or Hartlepool was. Yeah, yeah, we were, we were dreadful. But uh, I agree. I mean, the thing is, is that it's so easy. I mean, listen, nobody's nobody's condoning the fact that players were getting pushed around, and you know, no, no. 
But at the end of the day, they are and still are Stockport County fans, and some of them are still banned from from that day. They still don't go to games because of their over enthusiasm or you know stupidity, whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah. You know, I'm not questioning their heart. It's you know it it was just, it was just a really surreal day all all day long, especially from being a member of staff at the time. It, it, and somebody who followed the club for forty odd years, it, yeah. it was just soul destroying watching everything sort of go be, you know, below us. Yeah, I think I think you're right in what you say as well. That uh, to go back to Dave's point originally, you, you know, you can condemn what happened, and you can sort of say that's wrong or whatever because it doesn't tally with your view on how you should watch football. But it's the so-called fans bit. I think that is is beyond the pale. I mean, you know. No one can really condone going on the pitch and, and swing, taking a swing at one of the players. Um, I'm pretty sure no one had condoned that, but they are fans and they've been pushed so far that, that they'd snapped. And that's the way those particular fans chose to, to you know, or didn't choose to. They, they were unable to choose. It was just a, an instinctive reaction. Yeah. When you push somebody so far, you, you don't know how they're going to react. But to try and imply that they're not fans, as, we, as we've, I think we've made pretty clear, is just ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, you wanted to say that, so there we go. No, you're right. Um, no, you are. So, I mean, I think obviously we've. I think we touched on the fact that Spencer was on the radio saying that he'd got somebody in mind to come in, and uh, he was thinking of Steve Bellis. And I knew for a fact Steve Bellis. I'd spoken to Steve. Steve at that time didn't have the inclination, the time, the energy, whatever else it was. He couldn't have come to the club, but Spencer had gone live on the radio saying that. You know, we're bringing a big name back to the club and this, that and the other. And uh, in the end, it was JK who was made a director because without being unkind to JK, it was it, there wasn't anybody else that was a yeah. name, if you like, that could yeah. show to become. And, uh, you know, uh, John definitely didn't want to be a director until obviously he was sought into it by, by Spencer. But um, I think the, the next big thing that really happened, obviously after the dust had settled, you know, was we, as a club, obviously we were looking for any excuse or any reason to stay up. Um, and in the previous 10 seasons, nine teams have not been relegated from the National League, usually because of ground issues and or financial issues, or of clubs coming up, if you know what I mean. So the teams that were supposed to come up couldn't come up, and the team that finished in the top relegation place. That sounds good, doesn't it? Finished top of the relegation league. <laughs> we we finished there. So we were quite confident that there was clubs, that there was a reason that we would stay up. And the main reason was that Aldershot were getting relegated from the Football League. And Aldershot were in administration. And the conference stroke National League rules quite clearly state that any club dropping from the Football League in financial direct difficulty stroke administration would automatically go through the conference and go into the north or south whichever suited so we got a little bit excited about that behind the scenes We'd, without going public with it we were quite confident that that would happen that we would stay because of the fact that, as I say nine times in the previous or nine teams over the previous ten seasons have not been relegated in fact Alt, I think Alti had been saved three times because of that. Um, so it's, um, that was something that we were holding on to. 
and the meeting at Celtic Manor, which was obviously the, the AGM. Yeah. Um, the two, I was added a couple of days before the AGM. And again, at the time, I think Ryan was going down, Tony Whiteside, not sure who else was going. But there was, you know, that, that was what they were holding on to. And I, I got a call from uh, <laughs> somebody I knew quite well, I can't name him because it's not fair, but um, said to me that, there was, that we would be getting relegated. The rumour was that we, because over the years of our being in non-league, the two, two three years we've been in non-league, uh, our reputation as a club um, being really big time, behind the scenes and obviously with the troubles on the pitch, they used every excuse to sort of lump it all together, um, that they were going to change the rules for that season and Aldershot were going to be welcomed with open arms because <laughs> they'd reformed as a non-league club and they'd gone up to the Football League. So in, in everybody's eyes, they were still a non-league club and that's what happened. They stayed up. They stayed up and we went down. I'm not saying for one minute we deserve to stay up, but the rules had been the rules were changed and we went down because of that and i mean i can't prove that all i can say is that a very high up person at the time told me that's what would happen and it happened and when ryan came back from celtic manor i asked him and he said that's exactly the, the sort of take on it that he'd been he'd been he'd sort of taken on from the meeting that it, they couldn't wait to get rid of us from the national league and they wanted they needed a reason, and the reason was that Aldershot were a family member. Well, well, fair enough. I mean, if that's what happened, that's what happened. You know, we that Billy big time. We spoke about that before, haven't we? If you if you think you know we're too big for this, too good for this, and all the rest of it, then it might be true, but it's not reality. And you're certainly in in saying that you're denigrating everyone around you, aren't you? So you, you reap what you sow. Yeah, I mean, in the time that obviously. I would never say that we acted really big time, but I've told you before there were times when you know we didn't take, we didn't send board members to, to games. You know we we would there was a game I think it was at Grimsby where the only representatives of the club were myself and Grace Conroy. Yeah, and we were both members of staff. We weren't on the board, but there were no board members went to the game. Yeah, it's just disrespectful. You know? isn't it? Well, it is when you think that. Most non-league clubs, you know, when they came, I mean, I know it's a day out, but when most non-league clubs come to county, they're all there, suited and booted. You know, yeah. every member of the board's there. And it's part, you've got to play the game, Dave. That's that's yeah. the way it is in non-league football. Well, it, it, it didn't matter because we had this this uh, revolutionary guy in charge of uh, running the club. And uh, I'm just going to give you a couple of his quotes. He said... <laughs> um, what I'm going to do first and foremost is to create a club that doesn't allow the chance of what has gone on at this club in the past 10 years to ever happen again. That's an absolute must. So I think it's worth pointing out that what had happened in the past 10 years is we got promoted to League One. Anyway, it's gone through a horrendous period of unnecessary pain and there is simply no need for that to happen again. Part of this is elevating the expectations of everybody connected to Stockport. Not for one second am I going to allow anybody, and that includes the fans and everybody that works at this football club, to think that because of the hard times, it hasn't got the right or the resources to get back where it was or even beyond that. 
No organization I'm thinking of will be thinking like that. And that's exactly what he did, wasn't it? Well done, Ryan. Cheers for that, mate. <laughs> um, the thing is, he's not, he's not the first and he won't be the last football bullshitter. Oh, we've had enough, we've talked about enough in, in these, in these uh, days, podcasts. Days, he was a prodigy, wasn't he? A prodigy football bullshitter. <laughs> but the thing is, with football, and, and this is something I've said before, that football fans are so desperate to support their club in literally any way they can, that if bullshitters come along, and you know, we, we've had them, we've talked about them in these in these podcasts, fans will, will jump at what they say and want to believe every single word with what they say. Yeah. You remember Tony Evans being interviewed on the on the pitch uh, for the TV game we've mentioned, being clapped yeah. from the stands. I think when um, someone took over, it might have been Evans, I'm not sure, the, all, on the message boards, they arranged a, a celebratory night on the piss in Edgerley. Oh. And people were saying, hang on a minute, we don't know anything about these guys, they've got dodgy track records, you know, but fans are just, they just want, they want to be told everything's great, basically, and yeah. they want to believe it, and, and they will believe it. So, in a sense, what McKnight was saying there, it didn't necessarily go down well, I wouldn't have thought, but I bet, I bet quite a few fans thought, oh, he, he's the guy we need, he's saying the right yeah, things. All right, home game coming up, where are we going? What's your pre-match plan? Usually Bobby Peel for me. Peel? What about you, Dave? Well, as we've already established, I'm a Tory, so I'll just bring GNC from home and drink it in the back of the car. What about you? I mean, I'm, where are you going? Bobby Peel? Yeah, yeah. How many tellies have we got? Five, I think. <laughs> oh, mate, mate, you're not going to believe this. You want to get down to the Royal Oak. Why? What's the good about the Royal Oak? We've got tellies, they've got big tellies, they've got small tellies, they've got tellies when you're ordering a drink, they've got tellies when you're having a piss, they've got tellies when you're having a stick outside. Tellies, tellies, tellies! Aside from that, it's a really good place to go before the match, and alcohol is also available. Yeah, I, well, I remember, I remember you, Phil, saying to me that this guy is either going to be the best thing that ever happened to this football club, based on what he's been saying, or the worst thing that ever happens to this football club based on what he's been doing. And what... what which what, was it? Which way are we <laughs> Thanks for hanging me out there. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, you know when you... Listen, you want to like him. You want somebody who... The problem is, he's, it sounds really odd. I quite liked him. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I just... You know, it... I mean, the other thing is, again, we're probably digressing a bit. That we'd given Ian Bogey the job because he'd not quite, he hadn't quite, well, he hadn't kept us up. He hadn't even not quite kept us up. He just hadn't kept us up. He didn't have the time. He didn't have the players, whatever. But he was given the job on a full-time basis with a full-time budget. And we, we'd driven around, I think, Bramall and places like that, looking at houses. He was relocating. Yeah. And on the, I think it was probably the Thursday or Friday, we'd had a good drive round. We'd actually agreed a deal to bring the training ground back to Stockport. We'd done a deal with uh, Stockport Rugby Club. Um, they had plenty of grass, plenty of pitches, and it was back in Stockport. And it, it all seemed to be the right thing to do because obviously we, we didn't really have any any hold at all on there, simply at the time. I think it was Rochdale were there. There were yeah. probably a, about a dozen uh, part-time clubs on there. It, it be, rapidly become a really poor place, that poor repair. You know, there were no no groundsmen there or anything like that belonged to us. So, And the Stockport rugby thing, even though it was rugby, it, it suited. It was a lovely place. So we'd done a deal with that, and we were looking at houses. And then there was a meeting, I think, on the Monday, um, and... Bogey had said to me that 
he asked me what time I was working in the office till, and I said, I'll probably till late. And he said, well, I'll sit and have a brew with you because I've got a board meeting through the budgets and stuff like this. And he was genuinely quite excited. He got a few players lined up. And then later that night, he rang me up and he genuinely sounded upset. And I said, what's the matter? He said, I'm just on my way back to Newcastle and um, we're going part-time. And I said, what do you mean we're going part-time? He said, we're just going part-time. I've been told that the budget's cut less than half. All the players that we've sounded out, none of them can come because they're all full-time players. And we've got like three weeks or whatever it is, four weeks. It was only a short period of time. So and now you have to remember that neither Ian Bogey or, or anybody apart from Lordy was from round here. None yeah. of them knew the league scene. The only yeah. player that we actually agreed to talk to to bring in was Christian Dennis, who the season before had got 60-odd goals, uh, you know, in the level below. So he wasn't really a gamble because he was a part-time footballer. Well, he was a he was willing to stay part-time, I think, at the time. Um, so, you know, we, we didn't have any... The players that we were bringing in after that, we also had... Rob Flair had resigned about a month or so before the end of the previous season. And because we'd gone part-time, we hadn't replaced him. We'd actually talked to Simon Dawson. Um, we, we, I knew that Simon was had wanted to come work into the club before. So I don't know who interviewed him, but he was interviewed. But he wasn't offered a job because he, he couldn't afford to go part-time. So we had no commercial manager. Um, and it was agreed that I would take on the title but Ryan would drive all the commercial sponsorship and partnerships. Um, and, it, you know, I, when in, on reflection, I shouldn't have said I'd do it. But at the time, it was like, well, you're, you're a fan. Everybody knows you. You know, you're a good sell. People won't buy through Ryan. You do. You be the front and Ryan will drive the business. And it, on top of everything else I was doing, I thought, well, do you know what? I'll have a go at it. Uh, I actually spoke to Steve Bellis and he came down. We had a a sponsor's evening at the plough and Steve agreed to come down to give me a bit of a, a lift, you know, to sort of get people involved. And he, he was brilliant on the night, gave a great speech. We had a lot of sponsors there and, and just suddenly people started to forget the fact we'd gone, we were part-time. Um, but, you know, at the back of my mind, it, we we were struggling to sell whatever it was. You know, it, we all of a sudden there was the people, were look, we'd got people saying, well, I'm not putting money in until we know what's going to happen. Well, yeah. you can't run the business like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then, of course, Spencer resigned. Yeah. Two and a half weeks after we dropped, Spencer resigned, which then caused even more problems for, you know, we're trying to get sponsors. Well, what's, what's happening? You know, where's Spencer gone? And this, that, and the other. So there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Um, another thing that happened during that same period is we had a fire sale. To raise money, we started selling things from within the club, you know, like tractors at the training ground and things that you want, you don't need. You know, you haven't got a pitch or you don't. <laughs> there was lots of things like the TVs out the boardroom were sold for cash yeah, to keep money coming into the club. There's so many little things that were going on um, that were causing more and more issues. And, you know, it, it was difficult. I mean, I had several emails from people that, uh, were associated with the club for some time, who refused to put any money into the club as a sponsor. Yeah. Even though they've been sponsors for years, they didn't want to put any more money in until they could see that that Ryan was running the club in the right, you know, the, 
driving it forward, I should say. Um, but that's so tin pot, isn't it? That, the way you've just described is so fucking tin pot. I mean, Selling tellies off the wall for cash. Yeah, and the worst, thing, the worst thing from my point of view is I I, I went on a, a very short holiday. It was only eight, nine days just before, uh, well, in close season. Towards the end of close season, I've talked about this before. It's difficult to book your holidays because you're still you're more busy as, as normally. But anyway, and I went stayed at Fitzy's place. And um, what we by this time, we'd got rid of all... I think Cashy had gone by then. I'm, I may be wrong with my, my timing, but I, th- I think Cashy had gone. Fairly sure Grace had gone. Janice had gone. There was li- literally next to nobody in the office anymore. Yeah. Um, and even my part-time media assistant, Liam, had been binned off uh, quite unceremoniously, to be honest, um, after being told they weren't going to get rid of him. They did get rid of him. And we brought in a load of students from Burnley College. And... They were going to do the job. Five students were going to do the job between them. And if I'm, I've put my hand on my heart and tell you, one of them I never saw, and I don't think he ever set foot in the ground. One of them was a girl who was good on the day she was there, but again, only came when she felt like it. And the other lad, the best of the lot, was actually a Burnley fan. You know, he was actually not a bad lad at all. Uh, and mm. then there was a lad called Harry, who was a county fan, who again was doing it all for the right reasons. Um, but I, before my holiday, we had a big whiteboard. You know how fond I am of a whiteboard, and it, and it had all the list and a list of all the people that were to be contacted by Harry and the other lads with regard to sponsoring. While you know, to make sure that we didn't lose that that ten days or whatever it was I was away, that we didn't lose any impetus. Uh, and uh, when I came back off my holiday, not a single person had been called. So I asked. I asked, why is what's going on here? Why have none of these people been contacted? And Harry looked at me quite sheepish, being a county fan, and said, um, we were told not to do it. We were told to wait till we came back. Because um, Ryan said we had other things to do. So I, I go into Ryan and say, look, you know, what's going on? Well, we, we've got plenty of time to catch up with people sort of thing. And it's just like, well, we've lost 10 days. You know, we are now 10 days closer to the season. And I think, in fact, the day I came home, we played Roger Wilde's testimonial. That's how close we were to the the season started so we literally brought in a t- the first player I say player first person I saw when I got to the ground because I literally got to the airport went home dropped me gear, and came straight back to the ground for the testimonial and Jamie Hand was warming up and I was like oh my days that's how far we've fallen we're signing somebody that you know is I mean I believe he's, he's got a good career in coaching but to be fair, he, he wasn't the sort of player I was throwing me out on at county. Um, and it, that was, you know, when I came back to that, I just knew that things weren't going to be much better. Yeah. I mean, Spencer Fair, before he went, he said it was um, it was very much, part-time was very much uh, a temporary measure, which we will review when we win promotion. And, of course, um, six years later, we won promotion and uh, decided to carry on part-time. So, you know, yeah. you could see, you know, Spencer was right. He could see the writing on the wall. He thought, I've put enough money into this. Fuck it. And you can't blame him, really. Being playing devil's advocate, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of talking along the same lines here. If we hadn't gone part-time, then presumably that first season down would have incurred a big loss because the, the revenue had dropped massively. Yeah, but we so, had, but we had we had people in 
who owned the football club, who had the money to, yeah. to keep us full-time and put right the complete yeah. clusterfuck that they'd overseen. Yeah. I mean, that was, only one, that was only one part of the clusterfuck. I mean, we should have never have been in, in you know, in uh, the National League, whatever it's called. Was yeah. called. I, I'm with you 100%, and I've gone on record as saying that, that the very least they, those people should have done was paid out whatever it would take to put us back to where we were when they took over, then written it all off. That, that, that morally, that's what should have happened. Yeah, the, the Realistically, though, if they'd have racked up another debt in trying to get promoted out of the National League North at the first attempt and failed, then the club would have been in a arguably worse position because we'd be where we were anyway, but with a massive debt and from throwing money at it. That's, and where, we, that's where we ended up anyway. It, we, if yeah. we'd have had um, a positive response that had said, no, we're staying full-time, We've 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 already signed this this guy Christian Dennis who was, was going to be a success. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And um, and it is our intention to be promoted back to the national level uh, immediately. And uh, we we will not accept anything other than that. That is it. That is what everybody and everything at this football club is going to focus on. The irony of it of it all is that county fans will finance that. Because they turn up and pay the money, and yeah. we, we had a meeting with uh, Ryan McKnight. I mean, it was fair play to him. He was ballsy enough to to, to meet everybody. There was about twenty people turned up at, at County, and um, was in one of the meeting rooms, and he was taking questions from people, and um, it it was like it was like watching a Boris Johnson press <laughs> conference. Was that the one up in the Cheedland, Dave? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. That the one I chaired and then snuck out the back. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> awful. And I said to him, I asked him why we weren't we weren't going to spend fifteen thousand pounds advertising um, the, the the season tickets. And he said, "Well, we haven't got fifteen thousand pounds." So I said, "Well, we'll find it because what you're what you're actually talking about the plan you've just laid out to us now is a reduction." of £400,000 worth of income. That's what you're planning to do. And it was like it, it was like I'm looking at him thinking, you've just said we're going to bring in £400,000 less on purpose, and yet you're not prepared to risk £15,000 to prevent that from happening. And it, it was quite clearly deliberate. You know, the, the decision had been taken, cut everything, cut, 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 until there's nothing left to cut. And that, to me, was no way to run our football club. It was it was a disgrace that the owners of our football club thought that that was an appropriate way to manage us and, and to operate us. Absolute disgrace, and they should all be ashamed of themselves. The other, there was another thing that was quite a serious thing that went on behind the scenes as well. I, I think I told you before that Steve Cree, through his business, was our main supplier for the club shop. And to be fair to Steve, done a fantastic job. Not only did he supply stuff, he didn't charge us for it. Yeah. He only took the money. At the end of every month, I paid him what we'd actually sold. So basically, this we'd done our biggest turnover in profit in the shop for several years, and Steve played a big part of that. And I've often said that to people. you know, yeah, Because once Steve came in, and we suddenly had stock in the shop, the other suppliers that were very hesitant about giving us stuff 
realised that actually this looks good, this shop, I want to be part of it. And we suddenly started getting other companies coming to us, like yeah. all that stuff, mugs, everything. But uh, during that period, and again, either just before I went on holiday or just after I come back off holiday, I can't quite remember exactly when it was, but we suddenly got a load of um, fleeces and bags and stuff arrived in the shop that I hadn't ordered and had never seen them before. And apparently they came from a supplier that we'd given us um, a board. I think they put something on the railway end and they were a Sheffield company. And we were then, I was told that we were going to use them for all our product. And I said, well, hang on a minute. I don't pay for my product. Oh, this is all part of the sponsorship deal. So I said, well, I've still got stock in the shop that belongs to Steve Cree, and we need to make sure we sell that because obviously he'll keep placing it. Oh, we're not using Steve Cree anymore. So I said, what do you mean we're not, we're not using Steve Cree anymore? Because we're going to put everything through this company in Sheffield. So I said, well, I wouldn't do that for two reasons. One, it's morally wrong. But two, and I don't think Steve would mind me saying this, he's quite a big gob. If yeah. you... Don't if you renege on a deal with a high-profile county fan who has actually given us a massive leg up on to making a lot of money. If you don't pay him what we owe him, he won't hide behind Yellowboard. He'll tell everybody, and that's the worst thing you can do. Well, you, whatever you need to do, you need to not do it. You know, we're not getting any more stuff off him. I said, well, that's unfortunate because I've actually already ordered a load of stuff for it. I let Steve know that they weren't going to pay him. Uh, and he got paid and he carried on um, supplying us. So he obviously said the right things to the right people. But it just showed that, that the sort of thing that, that could have happened if you know if I hadn't spoken up, if Steve hadn't spoken What it shows is that the, the, the people who were operating the club had no regard for the reputation of the football club whatsoever. You know, that, that, and, and it's shameful... It's utterly shameful that they should have overseen such a Fred Carnell circus, and then yeah. and then and then not, you know, not put it right. And and people say, "Oh, well, you put it right, you because we got what? Because we got a bit lucky about five years later that Jim Gannon didn't piss off and go and get a job somewhere else." Honestly, it, it, um, it, it is a very frustrating period for all concerned. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure that their, their asses were going with the amount of money they were losing and everything else. But if you take on the responsibility of owning a football club, it's not like any other business. It is, it, I think I read today something, something like, it's only been about 20 football clubs in 150 years have gone out of existence. So uh, there's been some really shit owners in that 150 years. But it, de- it demonstrates just how hard people try to keep the club going because they value the club's reputation, their own reputation, and, the f- and you know, the importance it plays in the local community. And I've said on many occasions, you know, Bur- we've talked about Burnley a couple of times on this podcast. Who would know where Burnley is if he didn't have a football team? Who would know where Norwich is if he didn't have a football team? You know, it's that important and, and to just, to trash it, to trash the football club in terms of its status, in terms of its reputation, it's utterly shameful. Dark days, I'll say. Yeah, them days were dark, weren't they? 
They were dark, them days. They were dark, all right. I've never seen days so dark. Some of the darkest days ever they were. Yeah, they were right fucking dark. There's a quite a sinister sort of, just to wrap that pre-season up, um, and I, I won't mention names, but as I said to you, I'd had a few emails telling me that they were no longer going to put sponsorship in until um, Ryan was no longer at the club. And I think that was there was a few things that went by at the time that, that people didn't want him at the club for whatever reason. Fans didn't want him. Things weren't... From, from outside, I mean, it's difficult because I was on the inside, but from talking to people, people would be saying, oh, you know, I'm not putting any more money into the club until he's gone. Well, that's not my decision. Do you know what I mean? I just want... I was fronting up the commercial side of things and... I needed them to commit and they weren't prepared to commit. And it came to a head um, on a, a Sunday when uh, Richard Park, who, who rang me to say that he was concerned at what I'd said about, you know, sponsorship withdrawals. Um, and we were on the phone. I'll tell you how long we were on the phone. He rang me and my missus came upstairs to say, we're going doing our big shot, realised I was on the phone, went out, did the big shot, came on, put it all away, and I was still on the phone. That's how long I was on. And, and to be fair to Richard, it was the first and only time that I ever had a really long, in-depth conversation with him. And the guy was genuinely concerned at what yeah. he had done. So it asked me to put it into an email and copy him in, which I did. But, you know, with all the other things, that correspondence I'd had. Um, and then a few days or a couple of days went by, and I get an email from the chairman, and I've still got it, and it says, Hi, Phil, thanks for the emails regarding sponsorship withdrawal. This is a very worrying trend indeed. I am really between the devil and the deep blue. If I force Ryan out, then Spencer is likely to make life difficult. He put live. He is likely to make life difficult so far as his loans are concerned. He is also negotiating with a couple of would-be investors, and any further upheaval would well mean that they would walk away too. I fear that we will have to keep him on at least until we get through the next few weeks, which financially ain't going to be easy. I will write separately to blah, 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 to see if I can get them to think again and let you know the outcome. Meantime, I'm going to think we soldier on. EME, uh, to, to think that Ryan McKnight was an asset that the club could not do without <laughs> and, that, and that potential investors would be put off if he was removed. Well, I'll just tell you that the two oh, emails mate. that I've got in front of me there amount to best part of hundred grand. Is that hundred grand a year? Then is that hundred grand a year that those well, two we were, brought in? The, the, the figures all together with what we were being told wasn't coming in was some. It was in the region of ninety grand. I think those two together were like thirty grand. But it was it right. was the start of a, a very steep hill. Thirty grand is a big start. And we have to remember as well. We for some reason we decided we were having three kits that season. I won't go into the reasons why, but we were having three key, three seasons, three kits that season, and we could not sell our front of shirt for love and money. In the end, I did a deal with um, Life Leisure, so they did the front of the first shirt. We did a deal with, funny enough, Andy Calvert did the, the Argentina away kit, and I think it was Lemic the horrendous orange third kit that we had that was brought in because it reminded somebody of a Dutch team that we were having this Dutch manager 
but he'd gone by the time the shirt came out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was a difficult time. And but what I was getting at is if you just do the sums, then the sponsorship that you've lost, unless Ryan McKnight was on an inordinate amount of money. Which he was. You know, Sixty. Know, maybe, maybe, maybe the sums don't add up then, but to me, just at a very well, basic think, level, fairness, you've got this money coming in. Grand. Now I said underground. I think the figure in my mind was saving sixty grand wage and forty grand off these emails made it up to hundred grand. That's I think that was my thinking. I, I right. So forty sack the guy and you got forty grand profit is what is what it basically boils down to. Yeah, and you yeah. and you didn't have to pay out sixty grand in wages. But to be fair, yeah. those wages did get reduced to what forty eight. Yeah, it took a twenty percent pay pay cut. But um, it just it just went from bad to worse. I mean, I, I was sort of hanging on by a thread by the by the time we kicked off pre-season. I mean, to be fair, just talk about football for a minute. Pre-season, the results, forget the results. Christian Dennis scored 12 goals in pre-season. And amongst all the, the players, I mean, we brought in Phil Jevons, uh, Reese Turner had come in, Ian Howard. So we'd actually brought in some half-decent players on part-time, you know, wages and... The results, regardless, we we got through a, we got through the pre-season, and Christian Dennis looked on fire, and we were thinking, well, even part time, we should have a chance. But obviously, once the season started, things just didn't go well at all. But we've it, it, where the football's concerned. I think the other thing as well, we I just need to say again, big up to um, El Atters at the time, who once again came in at, right at the death of close season, and bought. Gave, lent me personally the cash to buy a load of stuff to put in the shop because we had kit, mini kits for kids for the first time in years and that was paid for them. And well, I paid for them and if they didn't sell, I would have had to give the money back to Elthiasus, but luckily they sold. So again, we were getting the right sort of help from the right sort of people and uh, despite the fact that you know we, we, things were quite clearly not, not good behind the scenes. Question for you both. If you could recreate one sporting moment and be there doing it yourself, what would it be, Russ? Winning put in the 1992 Open Championships to replicate Nick Faldo. Golf, then? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know, not my thing. But you, Dave? Well, as I'm a Tory, as you well know, so I go and watch cricket. Um, and I was there, along with John Billsbury, friend of the podcast, oh, yes. um, the Tea Party podcast. And we were both there when uh, Ben Stokes hit the winning runs in the Headingley Test on that famous Sunday a couple of months ago so I would uh, recreate that even I watched that <laughs> I'm going to have to go for a county moment now then, aren't I um, top of my head Glenn Taylor's header for Spennymore <laughs> against Chorley all the way get in so why have you asked us that Ernie because it's a little message from our new sponsors the players entrance in Merseyway Stockport where you can go and recreate many sporting moments and it's run by a county fan that's I mean and it's got Darren Stevenson on the wall there's a mural of Darren Stevenson on the wall doing an overhead kick I believe doing an overhead kick I'm going to go for that. I don't want him doing that was he actually doing an overhead kick like as a model for the picture I don't know or... the picture I've seen with him he's got his broken leg so or whatever he's done maybe that's how he broke it maybe no I'm, I'm looking at a picture of um, of the Cheetahland and the idea that, that a football club with with that stand, with that f- fan base, is having to borrow money to buy kits to sell that may or may not achieve enough money to pay back the supplier 
which means that the bloke running the shop would have to bind him. Oh my gosh, honestly, what? I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how they showed their faces at the ground. I really do not know. Um, yeah, I mean, as I say, so I don't know if it's we're not moving along too swiftly into the football. I mean, we'd, we'd, I wrote it down somewhere. Where were we? We'd, well, we got hammered at home, didn't we? For it was the first game of the season, we got tanked by Boston. Uh, then we drew, then we got tanked at Alty. Um, lost at home to Colwyn Bay, and then we lost at Harrogate, which was when it all kicked off again. Um, and I know that there was a, an altercation between Ryan and some of the fans. Be I don't know if you've been to Harrogate, but their clubhouse runs along behind one of the goals. And uh, I think a lot of county fans were in there because we were that poor, they decided to stay in there. Uh, but apparently he got abused and threatened and all that lot. Uh, and then Bogey came out and actually resigned on the pitch. Um, told, I don't know if Spencer was there, but Ryan was certainly there. But we were doing our sort of summing up on the radio, and I'd said to Liggins, something's going on there. Look, he's, he's certainly, you know, he doesn't look happy. And then Ryan came up and told us on air that he'd resigned. Um, and I know there's people out there who say he was the worst manager or whatever, but you put yourself in his suit, you know, he'd. he'd taken on a full-time job with, with the promise of a full-time staff and then with like three weeks to go I had to get a load of non-league players from an area that he didn't know because he'd never lived there and all right he didn't get them to do what he wanted to do but he certainly didn't make him the worst manager we ever had because he, he had the rug well and truly pulled from under him yeah you know I mean his record's terrible and he'll tell you that I mean, I've spoken to Ian Bogie since he's left the club and you know he's back in football he's back at Newcastle but at the time it was his biggest regret was that he didn't actually resign at that Monday night meeting yeah. when they told him that. And then he said, you know, hand on heart, I didn't want to be seen as a, as somebody who walked away. And in the end, I was somebody who walked away. And, it, it, you know, it, by his own admission, it was his own fault. Well, there's a lesson, there's a lesson in life there, isn't there? If it don't feel right, don't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, he, he, should have, he should have gone. He should have said, look, you know, if you're going to go part-time, that's not what I've come here for. And uh, I wish you luck with it. I don't I don't go back at, at Ian Bogey as a, a failure in any sense, really. I just, I, I, don't, I just don't think he ever had a chance. No, and uh, listen, you know, there's been, in our time of going, there's been managers with worse records than that for longer periods who saw it through because they didn't want to walk away from the money. Yeah, I, I think you look at it and you say... It might have only been a part-time wage, but at least he had the guts to give it up. Yeah, exactly. And ask for any money, just walked away. It took him a long time to get back into football as well, because obviously it tarnished his reputation big time. Well, I mean, how many managers have we have we finished? But I mean, Lordy then took over again. I think I think I've told you before in that three and a half years, including Lordy's two caretaker spells, I think I had ten managers. That's just unbelievable, honestly. So I think Lordy was in charge three times, three times as caretaker and once as joint caretaker. It was, but you know, we we went through him in a very, very, very quick period of time. I think we've got form on that though, haven't we? Because I was watching the replay of the two-one away at Southampton on Saturday, um, and the commentator pitched up and said that post-war we'd had the most managers out of all the clubs at that point in 1997. Yeah. yeah. Well, Danny Begara, six years, is 
the second longest serving manager in Stockport County's history until obviously Jim if Jim if Jim surpasses it in an unbroken period. I don't think he has yet, has he? Not done six no. years. But so Danny Bagara with six years is our longest second longest serving manager. Yeah, because that, that stat you quoted Russ from the from the game. Um, I always remember that being a stat right up until the eighties, probably until Bagara took took over yeah. himself. Well, Fred that Stewart, we held Fred that record. Fred Stewart as our manager for like, I'm not sure the exact term manager years, but he left um, and ended up winning the FA Cup with Cardiff, didn't he? So he was our most sort of he was our longest serving manager until eighty nine, well, till eighty eight, eighty nine, when Danny came in and left yeah. in ninety five. We must have averaged probably not much more than a manager a year throughout the 70s and 80s. It'd be worth looking at, actually, because it'd be easy enough to find the stats. I reckon we had close to 20 managers in those two decades. Don't be far off. Just, I mean, going back, going into Lordy, I mean, he sort of, I think he won his first game. Yeah, he did. He beat beat Gainsborough. Yeah. Um, and I think we drew with Levington and we lost at Vauxhall Motors and that was a strange one because I remember Steve was at that game. I don't know, I think Steve Bellis came as a guest of the club. See, their old boardroom, it's all changed now, they've had the ground done up, but their old boardroom used to be sort of behind a corner flag behind the goal. It faced the pitch, but it was sort of, you know, it was a strange little place. Next to the parts counter. Yeah, well, it... <laughs> It, that was the game where we Ryan took four mem, four of our stewards and made them sit around him in the stand <laughs> because he was worried that you know he was going to get attacked. Because if you've ever been to Vauxhall Motors, it hasn't improved that much. You've got a lovely new clubhouse and everything, which is really good, but they still only got a tiny little main stand and with no power in, which is great when you're doing. Uh, podcasts and stuff like that <laughs> um, and then they've got a little stand across the way but yeah so we had I think it was four stewards all might have been six but all went from our ground and sat in, in a little protective circle around them in the stand and we got <laughs> two one I mean when we're talking about dark days on the pitch I mean all the stuff off the pitch you know is is horrific it, it really is but dark days on the pitch I think this is the season for me because this yeah. is the one where we lost to Rush all at home um, I think towards the end, I've just got the stats in front of me. Towards the end of the season, we went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games without without scoring a goal until the very last game of the season. <clears throat> I'd long gone by then, Russ. <laughs> I well, basically, I I sort of went to the chairman and said, "Look, I've no longer, I'm not not no longer uh, prepared to carry the title of commercial manager because." I can't do it. I'm not being, you know, I wasn't being a coward or anything. I just, I wasn't, I was facing people that I've known for 20, 30 years who wouldn't give me money. And I'm, I'm talking some very, you know, people that you would know if I told you who they were. They've been an in and around the club, sponsoring the club for many, many years. And, you know, some of them have been on the front of the shirt before now, who just as friendly as they were to me were saying, Sorry, Phil, not putting any more money in that club until he's gone. Uh, and it, it became, you know, there was no point in me doing fronting it because I knew I wasn't actually doing the job properly. It wasn't my job anyway. Ryan certainly wasn't driving it. He wasn't bringing any business in. And regardless of what that email said about talking to potential investors, they never came in. Um, so I, I just said, look, I, I think 
club needs to take on somebody to do the job properly. And I'll concentrate on the other three jobs. And uh, it became a real issue then because um, the chairman wanted me to resign altogether. And I said, what do you mean resign? So, well, you can't resign from one part of your job. I said, well, it's not my job. My contract quite clearly says that I am the press officer and retail manager. And no mention of me being a commercial manager on my contract. And it became a real war of words. And it, it, it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice for anybody, uh, including people that were working with me, because the, the, the atmosphere in the office was, you know, quite clear that the students were all going to listen to Ryan and do what he asked. Um, there was lots of things not being done that were supposed to be done. Um, we ended up having a bit of a row um, that was witnessed by other people who quite clearly saw that I wasn't the aggressor in the argument. And uh, it, it never, I put in a, a grievance and it got thrown out and I got asked to walk, I got asked to resign. And I, I said, well, I'm not resigning over a grievance that's, <laughs> you know, I put in a grievance, what are you going to do about it? We're not going to do anything about it. Uh, in fact, we're going to make you redundant. And I said, well, how can you make me redundant? The club needs a press officer. The club needs a retail manager. Ah, but we're making you redundant because you've said you're not going to do your job anymore. And I was like, well, it's not my job. I'm just a fun. If you read what we put out in the press statement, if you read what's been said, I'm not actually employed as a commercial manager. Anyway, in the end, uh, I just had, I accepted redundancy because I just, from my point of view, my family were going through it. People that knew me and know me know that the best thing to do was be the better man and walk away. And it broke me up because, you know, I've, I've been involved in that football club for pretty much all my life from being a kid, watching from being a kid in the youth team and, and as an adult, getting over exuberant and uh, and then sort of, you know, putting my heart... You're so cold, Sam. As a Tory, whenever I'm down in London and I find myself short of quail's eggs, I head down to Covent Garden to replenish my stock. And if I want eggs in Stockport, I head to at Covent Garden. 94 Lower Hillgate, in the heart of Stockport Old Town. Come and visit at Covent Garden for quality breakfast and lunch, fantastic coffee, cakes, light snacks, and above all, a friendly place with great service. Open match days. Yeah, I am a so cold fan. Well, I even more so these days. So, yeah, it became, you know, I mean, the thing is, I've kept all the emails. I've got the email trail from everything. And, you know, I've not said anything during these podcasts that didn't happen. It all happened, you know, and it's, I'm glad that things have turned around for the club. It's, uh, you know, it, they'll always be my team, but I'm never, not sure it'll ever be my club again because it just, it, it it, it ruins your relationship with, you know, the club that you've grown up in. Like you just said, Dave, you know, it's Stockport. If you're if you're from Norwich, you've heard of Norwich City. You, you know what I mean? It's it, it's. I still go to the odd game. I mean, I'm quite lucky that I work in. I work for the non-league paper, and I I get to watch football every other well most weeks, um, and I occasionally get to watch County, which is nice, but very rarely at Edgeley Park. So at what what point did you leave the club then? It was that around the Harrogate Town match. I got made redundant on my wedding anniversary, Ross. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> yeah, my last game was the the Kyle Jacobs cracker game, Brighouse Town in the FA Cup. Oh yeah, we're an absolute worldy from Kyle. Yeah. Um, but that was that was it. I, 
September. So I actually, I think I only did about maybe ten, eight, nine games of that. Um, but it was weird because I immediately got asked to do the reports for the paper uh, and I was doing local radio as well. And then I got an, an email saying I want welcome in the press box because the chairman didn't like the fact that people get asking me why I'd left. And I kept telling them. <laughs> so uh, so I, I just walked away, really. It, it was a case of, you know, it, it wasn't worth the hassle. Uh, people that know me know that, you know, I did know I, I, I did my I did my best. And it, if it wasn't good enough, it wasn't good enough. But I did, you know, it's uh, I certainly wasn't the one that was turning sponsors away. And, I, I, you know, I'm glad Steve Steve did come. Funny enough, Steve Bellis came in and I played a part in him coming back in. Uh, and then because I'd said I didn't want to do commercial anymore, he brought Chris back, Chris Jolly back. And that really sort of effectively closed the door on me altogether, which was, you know, fine. What, what, a, what a fucking indictment that is, though, that someone like you... Who's been going for what? It's probably past fifty years now, isn't it? Well, at that just, time it was forty-six, forty-seven. But just became persona non grata. It's absolutely disgraceful. Uh, I, mean, I mean, let's be honest. I'm not. An, I because I was there as an individual. Uh, people would ask me why I'd left, and I'd tell them, tell them the truth. I probably should have just said, I can't tell you. Yeah, but, but even so. You know, at the end of the day, I, I played my part in me not being allowed to report at games because I, I told people what they wanted to hear. Well, I told them what what had actually happened. And if I'm if I'm the chairman, I don't want you know I don't want people there telling people what an arsehole I am. And the sad thing is, he resigned not long after. <laughs> so he waited till I'd gone, and then he resigned. Could but, you see your way to be to coming back as a, as a fan? Well, Under the new I, regime, I, are you doing other stuff now with with non-league paper? I'm a fan. You know, I, I was at I was at Nuneaton. If I'm honest, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. I enjoyed mm. it because it was my son's first ever. You know, I'd seen him lift the fourth division trophy and nothing apart from Wembley. And obviously, my my son was only about eight, well, maybe ten at Wembley. Yeah, a little bit more. But even so. It was the first title they've won since the first title that I saw in my first season. So I was pleased for him and his friends that I drove down to the game. I didn't feel it as much, and I, and I, I wanted to, but I just couldn't. I was happy. Yeah. I mean, I, was, I sat with Bully's family, and it was nice to be sat with people that you know, and I enjoyed the game. But then you hear people in the stands saying, look at the so-called fans on the pitch ruining the presentation. <laughs> You know, it just annoy you. And, yeah, I understand they shouldn't have been on the pitch. But, for God's sake, they've just had six years in the, in the lowest division they've ever been in, in most people's lifetime. You know, of course they're excited. Of course they want to be on the pitch. I'm not saying they're right to be on the pitch. But I understand why they were on the pitch. Yeah. It's funny that we picked up on that, didn't we, Dave? Um, yeah. yeah. At the time, we... That, that sort of bit of commentary, we, we we were messaging each other, going, "What the actual? What yeah. you know?" It's it's it's, it's tricky because we, everybody wanted to see County get the trophy in the middle of the pitch with the little stand that they put up, and that that's fine. I think the the, the blame needs to be at the administrators, whoever it might have been, whether it was from the league or whether it was Nuneaton or whatever, to not realise that was going to happen. So you either arrange to have the presentation up on the the 
platform where they eventually did it, or you you know you you do something to to just sort of say, look, we'll turn it around and we'll face the crowd because a lot of the people coming out from behind the goal were doing so because the the bloody stand they were putting up was facing the the main stand with about 38 people in it. Mm, yeah. you know, the three, stand, three sides of the ground that were packed with county fans weren't going to be able to face the thing. The shame of it, Nuneaton. I mean, to be fair to Nuneaton, you know, it was the biggest day in their history regardless of getting relegated. The biggest Indeed. crowd they've ever had in their history. They did everything they possibly yeah. could. They gave all, all the ground to us. And yeah. every other presentation in, in Vanarama history and National League history has taken place on the middle of the pitch. The trouble is, it's never taken, taken place in the middle of the pitch when you've got a, a sizable, well, the biggest away following that that division's ever seen, I would imagine. So, yes. you know, it, it, it wouldn't have took a genius to work out that that would, it just couldn't have happened. I was at, I covered the, the season before when Salford won it. I covered that game for um, Radio Manchester. And the same thing happened, but literally a third of the size of the pit, the size of the crowd. So they were quickly dispersed. Um, you know, it was on social media all week, courtesy of Nuneaton, how many county fans were going to be at that game. Somebody from Vanarama Stroke National League should have said, do you know what? We're not <laughs> going to be able to do this. We need, like yeah. Dave just said, let's just make sure that everybody's aware that at the end of the game, the presentation is going to be up on the stand. Mm. It, 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 that's one of the foibles of non-league football. It is still, in to, to many many respects, it's still run by, you know, older people who genuinely, it's, you know, well, we don't behave like that. We're in a league. Unfortunately, you've got a, a team that have got a massive fan base compared to every other non-league, well, pretty much every other non-league team. And that team has just suffered its worst six years of league placings and they've got the chance of getting within one table of being back in a football league, of course they're going to turn up. Of course. And, you know, let's be honest, as soon as County scored, that was it, game over. It was like a procession after that. And it was just a really, you know, people were just enjoying the day, but they were never not going on the pitch. And I don't think you can condone County fans for that. And it does, it, it really disappoints me when I hear people saying that, you know, County fans ruined it for those who want to see it, you know, they didn't. Yeah. Nobody got. Make your, mind, make your mind up as well. Nobody died. You know, I mean, yeah. it was it was a, a joyous celebration, and the non-league paper didn't make. I mean, I, I nobody nobody said to me, make sure you put it in a report. I mean, I actually I gave up the report that day. Somebody else did, it. Um, but you know, nobody said to me, oh, will it, how bad was it? Nobody said, oh, there was trouble. It was just like over exuberance, and that's all it was. Can it come so cold, fans? And it was the end of the dark days. Can I, can I go back to what we were saying before about the fact that the, the club had decided that we were going to have fewer football supporters in the ground. We were going to not sell any tickets. If people bought them, great. But if they didn't, it didn't matter because we weren't going to have anybody who would actually actively promote it. And as we saw in the season that we did eventually get promoted, you know, five, 6,000 fans will turn up to county if you're given something to cheer about, right? I'm just, I'm just going to, in the in the spirit of the dark days, I'm just going to read to you three lowest attendances from this year. So we've been relegated into part-time regional football, right? And we had 2,135. These are home games, Stockport County. 2,108. 
and 2070. Except they aren't the three lowest. We also had 1,941 at home at Stockport County and 1,884 at home at Stockport County. And on the 4th of February 2014, at home to Vauxhall Motors, 1,424 people turned up to Edgeley Park to watch Stockport County. And Ray McKnight and his paymasters were responsible for that. The amount of money they cost themselves by being negative is just unbelievable. They could have had three times those crowds. All they had to be was ambitious. It's just, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's devastating. 1,424. I think the season before, we'd, we'd averaged 900 away. Just, it just, it, I can't, I cannot, I can't actually forgive them for, for the shit that they created at, at, at the club and the embarrassment that we had to go through. And, and this was a time, and I put, I put um, something on Yellowboard about, I'd put something about a conversation I had with Chris Bramall, which we've discussed, the um, Project Salisbury. And, and about five or six games in, and it was clear it wasn't going to go well, um, I put, look, the first person um, who buys a season ticket next year, expecting it to be, diff- to, to be any different, and that's the key part of this, will be more on number one. We actually had some fans made T-shirts up saying proud <laughs> to be a more one. In, in the fan base, we had... You've got to support the club through thick and thin. Well, of, of course you, of course you do. Of course you support the club through thick and thin. We have done. The fans have played the part all the way through this. Um, but there's also a responsibility on, on us. I feel as fans, when the club is being run in such a diabolical manner, to say fucking stop, stop what you're doing. Don't do this anymore. This is diabolical. This is embarrassing. You're making things worse. Stop. And if you can't stop, if you're on this treadmill and you can't stop, fuck off. Let, let somebody else have a go. And, and I don't, if we ever get to that situation again, I hope not, but if we ever get to that I hope the fans collectively respond differently rather than getting T-shirts saying proud to be a moron, fucking do something about it. Yeah, but at a football club, you get, you get all the different, selections of fans don't you and you're, you're always going to have the scarfers the happy clappers that will just blindly walk up just blindly pay the season ticket money and go despite what's happening and they're probably in denial that something's wrong i remember being part of the co-op when i sort of first joined the co-op and trying to get new members in um and oh, was it the no? It's the, it was the co-op. I was getting I was getting this bit mixed up, but it was the co-op. Stood on Mercian Way at the uh, at the traffic lights. Uh, yeah. People are going past. I got called a trouble causer at least half a dozen times because you, tr- you because you're canvassing for change. You want to do something yeah. different, but you're a trouble causer because it'll yeah. all it'll all be all right. Football clubs don't go out of existence. It'll go back up. It'll all it'll all even out at the end of the season. Will it fuck? You've got to do something about it. And I, I remember it being got, you know, more, to be fair, more people stopped me and asked me what, we, what what was it all about? What were we trying to do? But, yeah. you know, I just, the, the, the negative people stick out, don't they? And it's, it's just, it's those, it's those blind, happy clappers that, 
um, really get on my nerves. And to be fair, at the time, I, I, I did buy a season ticket. I kept on buying a season ticket because I still wanted to go and watch. It wasn't a question of you were more on if you bought a season ticket. It was a more on if you thought it was going to be any different because this was a pattern that was set in a club, not not by accident, but by design. It had been organised and structured in such a way mm. that this was us now. We are part-time regional football scraping by. And it was... And I know what you're saying about... I don't want to... In the same way that I've, I've, I've protected and defended the uh, the so-called fans, I'm going to protect and defend the happy clappers uh, because they are still fans. And obviously, you know, they, they, they might even have a sort of moral high ground to say, well, I'm not going to do anything to upset my football club. I accept that. But when you look around and see these teams, Colwyn Ben, Gainsborough Trinity, yeah. Leamington, Rutshall Olympic... North Ferriby, Oxford City, Bradford, Bradford Park Avenue, Histon, Vauxhall Motors, Staleybridge Celtic, Geisley. I mean, for crying out loud, what does it take? When you look and you're sat in the ground and there's 1,424 people in an 11,000 capacity stadium and you're playing Vauxhall Motors, if you look around and think... This is going all right. You need to have a word with yourself. And if you think, if you look around and think, I'm not going to say anything because, you know, it, it, I don't want to rock the boat. Fuck me, the boat sunk and you're on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I just remember it so vividly. I mean, I was I was attending co-op meetings once, twice a week and trying to, trying to get the membership up and getting the Guardian account sorted and all these kind of things. And every time a new result passed, you know, Rush All Olympic, I kept on saying like to my son, who was, it was his first season as, as this season ticket, and my wife and that, I was saying, it's another new loaf account. He'd just been beat by fucking Rush All Olympic. Um, with full fans or whatever it was. Yeah, and and I remember, I remember, you know, every time, you know, oh, it's another new low. And then when we went to play Colwyn Bay away... Oh. Right at the end, and we're all stood. We're all stood on in Colwyn Bay Village Centre or whatever centre. It's not. A, it's not a town. Well, I suppose it is a small town, isn't it? You know, it's completely yeah. dead. Bank holiday weekend, I think. And I remember um, my uncle, uh, my uncle Steve, saying to me, a massive county fan for years and years, and he, he just said, "Well, you've got to remember these days, haven't you? Because when it gets better, you can say you were there." And I'm thinking. I remember thinking at the time, thinking, "No, but this is shit, Steve." Look! 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 Where we're the same thing about ten miles away in Carnarvon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it just it was just full of full of new lows, new lows, and yeah, I I I totally accept it. I wasn't going. I wasn't going with the expectation that um, it was going to get it, things were going to change just you know miraculously because um, I was because the way I the way I did it the way I appeased myself was. I was doing something. I was trying to do something with the co-op. Do you know what I mean? And trying to do something yeah, yeah. off the field. So, so going going back going back to when Phil left. Then obviously Ryan McKnight was still there at the time. Um, I, rem- I remember being part of the co-op, and and I, I met Ryan a couple of times. Um, and the, the, the word that sticks out for me that he said consistently and repeatedly was devolution. 
we've got to devolve the club. We've got to apply devolution to the club. And I'm just like, you've, I'm th- I was just in, in back of my head. I'm just thinking, but you're breaking it up. That's what you're doing. You're taking it back down to its fucking bare bones. Um, I, I, the only reason why I went to meeting was because no, nobody else in the court would. <laughs> <laughs> so, did he mean devolution? Oh, I'm not sure. He, I'm not sure he's got that right. Has he? he was the other one. But devolution means passing power from central government to local government. What's he, what's he talking about? Well, that, 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 that's the word. That's the word that he said. And he was going to go to. A, he was going to go to. He was going to do like a press conference. I can't remember what it was about at the time. Now, fucking, because he just he just tried to <laughs> baffle me with bullshit. And I, you know, I, I work in a corporate environment, so I'm pretty good at knowing when someone's a bullshitter and they're just coming out with fucking hot air. Do you know what I mean? And. <laughs> The, the word, yeah, he yeah. devolve, got de- devol- de- devolution and devolve was the, were the words that he was saying in some sort of context around. Ugh, fucking no, it was just I was just sat there going, fucking get me, I need to go home. All I was going to say is, look, you know, I, I'm as a Stockport County fan, very very pleased to see that they are back on the way back. Um, it's a shame that obviously this period that I was working at the club was so shambolic, and not just you know for everything that went on. It would have been great to work at a club in a much happier time, and uh, I am very glad that things are getting better. And uh, you know, I'll always be a fan of the football team, uh, and I, I hope that Jim breaks that record of being the longest-serving manager. Definitely. Yeah. Cool, cool. And I think with that, we'll um, we'll close Dark Days Part Five, um, and we'll continue the Dark Days series in another five months' time. <laughs> Um, but just, when we're all locked down for phase for wave two of COVID, wave two, wave two of COVID, yeah. Um, I, Phil, okay. will you be joining us on the next dark days, or is, is that your contribution over now? Uh, I can get, get, I'll join in from afar because obviously I wasn't attending many games. Uh, I did actually do a couple of co-coms while Ryan was while Ryan was on his holiday that he took in mid-season. <laughs> yeah, I was mysteriously asked to come back to the club. <laughs> I remember that. Well, I remember him taking a mid-season. Okay, let's wrap it up. Thanks very much, fellas. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Cheers, lads. See you later. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around... You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.